Happy Easter. Good to see you guys. You know, I think um, we were talking about some pretty serious struggles there. Um, And I think right here is the best possible place you could be if you're depressed. Is the best possible place you could be if you're struggling. Uh, I just go ahead and say that I have had plenty of my own mental health struggles in my life. Still work through stuff. Uh, but I still remember the moment I was talking to my therapist, uh, a guy named Tim Peterson, and dealing with what I was dealing with, I, I just said, Tim, what if, what, if there's, what if there's no help for me? And he said, well, Guile, then you just have to imagine a world without God. And it was like, checkmate. <laughs> it was, because... Jesus, Jesus, the point is we need rescue. That's the point. It's the point is we need rescue. So we love you. We're so glad you're here uh, to meet the hope that Jesus gives at the deepest, most existential level. Um, What's so beautiful about Jesus is you just kind of can never find the bottom with him. It just goes deeper and deeper and deeper who this man is. So that's what Easter's about. That's what Easter's about. So I'm just going to say things that a lot of you guys have heard, already know. Maybe some people, this is new, I don't know. It's not really relevant because there is no bottom to this. I've been following Jesus for probably 40 years. And I'm still just slowly going, oh, that's what you are up to. It's just shocking and beautiful. So, Lord, we ask for help from the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, 18, you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that we may know you better. Know what's the hope, the fact that you've called us. Know To you, you've inherited something in us. And to know the power which raised Christ from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. You don't have to force a thing. It's the Holy Spirit that gives it to us. So just let it wash over you. He'll give you what you need. Okay, no no need to strive. Okay. So Easter, and we've been talking since last week, Palm Sunday, and then through Good Friday, asking what kind of king is Jesus? Now, why would we ask that question? And the, and the answer to that is Palm Sunday, it, it, it commemorates this moment when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. There's an incredible celebration. And, and uh, yeah, it was kind of a confusing time because for years, for hundreds of years, it had been prophesied in Israel that they, we all knew that the world was messed up. There was something went really wrong. And the Genesis account tells us that it was, you know, our run, trying to run the world on our own kind of broke stuff and broke ourselves. And, and, but that God was going to restore this and he would send a leader, send a, a king that would put everything back together. 
And so Palm Sunday celebrates this time where it looked like Jesus was doing that. And, and, and so, by the way, the reason we're asking what kind of king Jesus is, two things. First one is to know and respond to his leadership. What I mean by that is we've all experienced some kind of leadership in our lives, right? We, everybody had a boss at some point in your life. I'm assuming all of you have had parents at some point in your lives or there's something really unusual we need to talk about after the service. And so we have a vision in our minds and maybe a voice in our heads that is what we imagine Jesus being like as a leader. And what we want to do actually is get tuned in to the actual voice of Jesus. Jesus says wonderful things like in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, that he is gentle and humble in heart. Did anyone ever have a football coach that was gentle and humble in heart? Maybe you did, but I've not seen any on the highlights that I'm aware of. So we want, we want to be able to sort through all the voices to say, what does it sound like when Jesus is leading us? And the other thing is we want to lead with and like him. Now, I'm going to define later, if you weren't here last week, I'll define later a little bit more what I mean by lead with and like Jesus. But it has to do not so much with like a leadership seminar or something like that. It has, has to do with your role on the earth. Why are you here? So, as I said, on Palm Sunday, we had this, this incredible celebration that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It appears he's fulfilling all of these different prophecies that this dude is the Messiah. People are going crazy. They're loving it. But as Jesus kind of just does his thing during that Passover week, things turn completely the other way. People don't like the kind of king Jesus is being. It seems that Jesus associates with all the wrong people. He doesn't seem to know how to, to glad hand. He doesn't know who to talk to, apparently. Instead of going to the powerful people that like run the temple and ran the politics of the day, he, he, he went to blind guys. He went to people they called tax collectors and sinners, basically traitors. And, and, and it was so frustrating to the people around Jesus that by the end of this week, everybody pretty much said, nah, you're not the guy. We don't believe in you. But what's fascinating is we watch Jesus' narrative. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was being very intentional. And, 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 and have you ever gone into a room and you know everyone's going to not like you? Yeah. How's that feel? Jesus knows what he's going to do is going to disappoint everybody. But he does it. He does it. He loses his reputation. And what I call Jesus, what we see on Palm Sunday is that he's this humble king who knows all this is going to make me look bad and I'm going to do it anyway. This is the way I'm going. He gets low. Then we see, see on Good Friday, this was, if you were in Friday night service, you heard this, that Jesus, who is the supposed king, it, 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 
his, his road to the, the throne was pretty rough. Because the people who crowned him were guards who were beating him, mocking him, spitting on him. And ultimately his crown was a crown of thorns. Humiliating. Foolish. Excruciating. What kind of king is this? And then, then his, his red carpet to the throne was the Via Dolorosa, which is the way of suffering, of constant mockery. You know, look what a failure this is in front of us. The crowds that on Palm Sunday were saying, hail to the king, are now saying, let's kill this dude. And then Jesus is finally enthroned on a cross. A cross which that doesn't have the right imagery to us because we, we wear them around our necks. But for, for a Roman, that'd be like wearing an electric chair around your neck. A little dark. A little like not any positive associations. And Rome would put those out in front of the city to say, this is what we do to failures and traitors. But as we look at the prophet Isaiah, what he says in Isaiah 53 about the Messiah that was to come, and then we, we read the interpretation of what Jesus did, we see the whole time he was obeying his Father. We call him the surrendered king. He's not a king who, who got to the throne by grabbing for power. He gave it by completely giving it all up to his Father. He says at his crucial moment, not what I want, but what you want. So, we have a humble and surrendered king. So, the question is, what kind of king is Jesus on this Easter moment? And so, we'll look at a passage and that, the, that we want to remember, the, why are we asking this question on Easter? It's we want to know what Jesus' leadership sounds like and we want to understand why we're here on this planet. How we can lead on this planet like him. So how did Jesus lead? Paul said it this way. He kind of summarized this, the whole story in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It says, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And I want to pause right here. If we just look right here, this whole moment is Jesus, the humble king. He humbled himself. How did he humble himself? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's Jesus, the surrendered king. But then Paul takes us, he takes us across the goal line, if you will, into the resurrection. He says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Didn't leave anybody out here. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, Master, to the glory of God the Father. 
And so real simply, we can see what Paul says here is that on Easter, Jesus is the exalted king. He's the exalted king. Now, I want to notice that it's God that exalted Jesus. Jesus didn't exalt himself. This is fascinating. Look at this. Uh, Paul says this is what the gospel is. The good news, the gospel, is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised, passive voice, from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter says this when he's in Athens. He said, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man Jesus, he is appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Subpoint, pretty important one. There have been a lot of leaders who died for their causes. In fact, all of them did. Right? But if it's true that Jesus, the man, is alive, Now, as Sam Westhoff said, there is a man seated in heaven next to God right now that there's something that's impossible to ignore in human history. I mean, there's something that we all know we're going to do, and it's die. There's something we know every human has done, and it's die. But there's one person who the testimony of his closest people 500, that he, he, he came back from the dead. So we've got to grapple with this. It's in fact the resurrection that vindicates Jesus. It shows that the cross was not a defeat, but a victory. Without a resurrection, there's nothing to do here. We're, we're idiots. Let's go home. But what's so fun about worshiping Jesus? Oh. As we get pulled up into the life of the man who's at the throne right now. In Revelation 4, we look at this man, Revelation 4 and 5, and that all of creation just can't help but say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Every time they look at this lamb that was slain, so there's, he's the worthy one. I could see it while we were worshiping Jesus. I've been meditating on Revelation 4 and 5 lately, and I could just see it. I was like, the Lord said, come up here and look. Look at this. I'm like, oh, this is what we're in right now with the risen Jesus currently at the right hand of God the Father. We see throughout the text of the New Testament that it was God that exalted Jesus. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross, as Peter talked to the religious leaders. He said, God exalted him to his own right hand as what? Prince and Savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Jesus says this, he's after his resurrection, he's talking to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth, by the way, that's everything, everywhere. Quite a statement. But he's saying it's been given to me. Then Paul, in the beginning of Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesian church, just this beautiful stuff. He's praying that the Ephesians, and I actually prayed a little bit of this, uh, that they would know the power 
of God, that's the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at his right hand. Seated him. Raised, seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And God appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way. It's God that exalted Jesus. So what kind of king is Jesus? He's a humble king who's willing to lose every bit of reputation, every bit of power, in order to do what his father asked. He's a surrendered king who even when every fiber of his being is saying, I do not want to do this, still surrenders himself. He doesn't gain power by grabbing for it. He does it by letting go, trusting himself to his father. And out of that, Jesus then is exalted by his father over everything and everyone. So that helps us know what Jesus' leadership is kind of like. Jesus is a humble king. He's a humble king. He's so attentive and thoughtful that there's no such thing as a peon in Jesus' world. In fact, if you look at Jesus' life, if the lowest, most rejectable person isn't completely loved by Jesus, equally like everyone else, then nobody's loved. Those are your options. Either everybody or nobody. Everyone's at the same spot. You can't reject your way out of being loved by Jesus. We wonder, what kind of leadership would that be in your heart? What what kind of voice does God speak speak to you in? Is it a surrendered one that says, I just need to get, get it right, man. Get it right. He has nothing to gain from us. We have nothing to give comes from under and then exalts so the question is then how do we lead with and like him and here's what i mean by that in the beginning i talked about this last week we see that god is king of the earth king of the universe by default he is king why because he made it unless he decides that it be here it ain't here and and so god is king but what's fascinating about god god did not need the world He wasn't bored. Father, Son, and Spirit doing just fine. But there's something about him that loves to give, loves to share. And out of the delight of his heart, he made humans in his image to lead with and like God. In the ancient Near East, we we, we know if you look at uh, history that when... uh, a king would take over an area that he wasn't at, one of the things he would do is erect a statue of himself there, an image. Say, I'm king here, but these guys are going to be doing it in my place. God puts his image on the earth, and then right after, when he says, let us make man in our image, male and female, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in 28 he says, and here's what that looks like. Rule over the earth. Later in Genesis 2, he says, cultivate it. 
We have this mandate from God. Why am I here? You have a creative, co-creative role with the God of the universe to beautify the earth, to beautify the relationships around you, to, to, to say and do things that resonate in the whole cosmos. We were by design made to work with God. We were not made to work by ourselves. We don't do very well that way. We just can't do it. We can't make an earth. But, but, for some strange reason, our forefathers said, you know what? I bet I could if I tried. And so fell to the temptation to take matters into their own hands. God gave us choice, agency. You've got to be able to say no to somebody if you're going to have agency. And so we said no to God, said, let's run things our own way. And that's what happened. Look at that. Wasn't that awesome? We got to do that. We got to do that again. That was really good. There you go. We distorted ourselves by separating ourselves from God, not doing our create, uh, this, this co-creating God with us together thing on earth we distorted ourselves and we've done a good job distorting everything around us haven't we you name it between the created world to our economies to our relationships whatever the thing is we're, we're just a mess we thought we could do better on our own but it turns out it's not so great the hard part about that it's like a stain it's like it's like a permanent marker stain on our shirt you can't get it out yourself And so we know the story of Jesus coming to us is to restore what was lost at the beginning. And actually to restore in advance. We'll talk about that in a second. But so the question is, if Jesus is wanting to restore us back to this co-creative relationship with the Father, this this specific role that, that makes meaning and a difference on the earth, then how does God do it? What kind of leader is he? And as a humble king, I think, I think to follow the pattern of Jesus, what this means is we have to admit humbly, humility is not self-rejection or hatred. It's reality. It's owning reality. Humility is just simply living in the truth. You're like saying, I'm bad at preaching. Isn't gonna, it's not humble. It's not even helpful. It's just, oh, I have a gift. Oh, well. It's like my hair color. Big deal. Which is changing, by the way. <sighs> Tim Lucas just said, at least you have it. <laughs> the reality that we have to admit is our lives are unmanageable and we need a Savior. And you're like, whoa, what do you mean by that? I can manage my life. Really? Here's here's three factors I want to suggest you can't manage. Sin. Our tendency to do the wrong thing. First of the fact that I already have sinned. I know I've done the wrong thing. And now, I don't know. Kind of like doing it. You know. Guy cuts me off. Why I don't have a Jesus fish on my car. (laughs) 
betray my Lord in public. We can't overcome our tendency to do the wrong thing. Death. Death. We cannot outrun this thing. Work out as much as you want. Eat all the health food you want. You're going to die. It's just going to happen. So, I mean, oh God, I, I've, I've done so many funerals. And when people are approaching the end of their life, it is a travesty to see people first starting to realize they are not in control of their life. It, it is devastating to them and everybody. Hospice nurse here, she's seen this many times, of this shock that I'm not in control of the world. See, if we've been practicing it for a long time, it's not a shock at all. And Satan. It's a real thing, man. In the West, post-enlightenment, we're kind of arrogant. We don't believe that things exist that we don't see, except for, you know, atoms, molecules, all those things. Right? That's kind of silly. We're kind of selective when it comes to that. But there is a world the rest of the world knows about. And it's, the, it's like this. We're not in control of the world, and there is no neutral ground. The, the, the Bible says this, and my experience has been this. Either you're submitted to Jesus, or you are under the control of the devil. You don't know how, but there's influence. There's cultural things. It's happening, I promise you. And these are things, how do you get out of that? I mean, seriously, how do you get out of it? Well, this is the surrendered king. We've got to follow the surrendered king in his example. We have to surrender to what only God can do for us. There's something in us. Every religion besides Christianity has this thing that, well, at least if I do enough sacrifices, at least if I burn some incense, at least if I do some good deeds, I can probably appease this God and, and change my future. But the problem is that those gods are hungry all the time. They're never not satisfied. But Jesus models for us the life into his kingdom, which is said, you cannot rescue yourself. The only way through is to completely surrender. I know because it's the way I went. It's the way to the kingdom. It's the way to the crown. It's the way to everything being set right. And we can see this in well, sin, death, and all three of these things. We can see that Jesus... Simply, Paul's saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Glory of God here is talking about that reality of being in relationship with God, living out your created purpose in fellowship with the God who made us the way he intended to. That's the glory of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of it. We're broken and all are justified. Approved, accepted freely by his grace, his unmerited kindness through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Sacrifice of atonement is this picture that God gave the Israelites of to be able to be in God's presence in the temple or the tabernacle. You can't even get there because God's holiness is so, it's, it's like going to the sun. You can't get closer, you're going to be burned up. And so the only way would be make a sacrifice 
uh, of like a goat and to put the blood on the atonement cover of the ark where God was seated above his presence. But here he's saying Jesus has actually been that very sacrifice to cover over our sins and say, come on in. Come on in. No reason to be afraid. It's all gone. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. (laughs) Past, present, future, sin again, he will forgive us. I mean, this is just the best news ever. We don't have to live a life of guilt. We don't have to live a life of like low-grade shame at all times. That's not what Jesus offers us. Not the surrendered king. And death, how about this? So since the children, meaning humans, have flesh and blood, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What if it were true that the thing that's the worst thing that could happen to you, you're no longer afraid of? Remember N.T. Wright saying once, fear is kind of like just the background of our lives often. Whatever the fear might be, whether about finances or the mortality or whatever. What if the worst fear possible is no longer a fear? And Satan read this on Friday. It says, when we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh and other separation from God, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross. And how about this? And having disarmed the powers and authorities. That's the spiritual world. Paul uses that language all the time. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It's the only time I see Jesus do any chest thumping. Made a public spectacle of Satan and all demons. So, how do we imitate Jesus' leadership as the exalted king? I think we do the same thing that he did with the Father. We rely on his power to live out our new creation identities. I'll explain what that means in just a second. But notice Jesus did not exalt himself. He didn't raise himself from the dead. He was raised. I was confused there for a second. We're doing baptisms after that. So if you see people starting to move, you guys can go ahead and move back for our baptisms. We're going to finish today with a number of baptisms. You'll also notice some children all of a sudden filing through here, and that's that's expected. That's they're not escaping. (laughs) We're going to have our older kids sit and be part of the baptisms and watch. How do we rely on His power for sin, death, and Satan? Sin. This is so powerful. The death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall no longer be your master. Do you know this? We don't have to sin. That We are not hopeless. 
Like that phrase, I'm only human, doesn't apply to people who have the Holy Spirit in them. Now that could be depressing. You know, like, well, crap, why do I do all this? This is why we're learning how to have the identity that we're meant for to participate with God. Because this is so great. If you live according to the flesh, your own strength, you're going to die. Has anyone tried to not sin with your own strength? How'd that go? Yeah. Um, But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So this is how that works for me. I'm tempted. Jesus, 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 help me, help me, help me, help me. That is exactly the prayer I pray. I'm not making that up. I mean, that's like something really tempting. Like, oh, Jesus, 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 I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Jesus, you got to help me. you got to help me. you got to help me. And you know what happens? Power. I can feel power for a different way around this thing. To, I can live out a new creation, creation identity. I can't do it myself. I was never designed to do it myself. I was designed to do it with God. Death. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit lives in you. Think about this. I saw this incredible image yesterday. It happened about four or five days ago in New York City. There was a lightning storm, and one of the main skyscrapers was struck by lightning. And someone took a picture of it. And I'm telling you, man, that'll humble you fast. The, the size of electricity over the whole skyline of Manhattan was like in a millisecond, God said, Yeah, you're not that big of a deal. It was shocking. Okay, the God, yeah, that was pun. That was punny. That was really punny. Didn't mean to do that. Yeah, Jesus, help me. Yeah, yeah, start start calling out to him, Guile. You're derailing. The guy who made the lightning storm lives in your body. What's going to rub off on you, man? If his life is in my body. Now, we don't fully get to experience all that stuff yet. In fact, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also, those who put their faith in Jesus. In Adam, our forefather who screwed up, all die. But in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the per- first person to be raised out of a mortal body into an immortal body. He's the first fruits. But then when he comes, when Jesus returns, didn't you love Craig's prayer? I mean, that was just like, like as if it were planned or something. It wasn't. I promise you it wasn't. That Jesus will return to the earth. And everybody who's died in faith in him, he will physically raise from the dead the same immortal body that Jesus had. It's not just a spiritual thing. Jesus ate fish. Jesus could be touched. He's creating a new heavens and a new earth. That's where we're going. That's what we're actually made for. And this is so cool. God raised Christ from the dead, seated him at at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Right hand doesn't mean I just, you know, he's right-handed, so he likes to have a guy there. It, it's, it's, it's about authority. The right hand of God is he's equal in authority. Above all rule and authority. You see it there. And here's the crazy thing, though. 
When we put our faith in Jesus, God raises us up with Christ and seats us with Jesus. That doesn't mean some kind of weird spiritual thing where like my spirits and... No, it means you have the same authority over Satan demons that Jesus does. In in the taxonomy, in, in the way things work in the world, you have authority over every power in Jesus. Delegated. Exalted. We don't, we don't carry it in ourselves, but he does. So, how do we lead with and like him? We rely on his power to live out our new creation identities. Now this is, I wanted to just unpack that for a second. What do we mean by that? First of all, if anyone is in Christ, what does in Christ mean? It means I have said, yes, I need you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. Be my Lord. Be in charge of my life. I, you are the king. And I will be your subject. But then what he does is he puts the Holy Spirit in us. And he says, guess what's happening? The new creation has already come before he comes back. In us, something happens. Words like regeneration. We honestly can't even describe. It's so deep and complex, we don't even know how to describe it all. To say that God, what he always wanted to do in co-partnering with us, co-creating with us, he will do now. He gives us new birth. That's one way Jesus talked about it. It's like, what what is going on? New creation can happen now before Jesus returns in me. And so the way that works out, Paul says later that we're God's handiwork. That word handiwork is poema. It could be translated masterpiece or poem. Like a poem, like, like you're, 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 you're beautifully, thoughtfully, painstakingly crafted by God. In Christ Jesus, this new creation in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have this desire, guys. Everybody wants to do something. You create, what am I here for? And this is it. It's to be in this co-creating relationship with God, that he then has things he's planned for us to do from the outset of all creation. And I've lost your attention. (laughs) Come on in, guys. I'm going to sit right over here. So, what kind of king is Jesus? We want to know and respond to his leadership. We want to lead with and like him. Here's what the kind of king is. He's a humble king. He's a surrendered king. He doesn't grab for power. He surrenders to his father's will. And he's the exalted king. How do we do this? I admit my life is unmanageable and needs a savior. I surrender to what only God can do for me. And rely on his power to live out my new creation identity. That's fun stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Let me let these guys file in. Kids, we're so glad you're here. Because what we're going to do now is baptism. And you'll notice the pattern of baptism is this very thing. It's to humble ourselves, surrender our own lives, 
and let God exalt us. Paul said it this way in Romans. He said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's right now. And then, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Guys, baptism is this, it, it's a critical moment. You know, they're saying, like, for instance, with marriage, you, you could, I guess, just accidentally just be around someone long enough that I guess you're kind of married to them. But that's kind of hard to look back to say, I committed at this moment. We got married at this moment. I'm sticking with this commitment because we have witnesses from this moment. That's what baptism is. It's this moment of a decision that's been made, but I want to do this moment in front of others till we get agree together. I'm following Jesus. I'm identifying with his death. I'm identifying with his life, and I'm looking forward to being resurrected. So we've got eight different folks, I think, that are going to be baptized. Just so you know, since the early church days, we can chase back, at least back to the fourth century, baptisms traditionally were done on Easter. Why? Because it's new life. So, so we kind of stumbled our way into this and realized, oh, this, we're, we're in the middle of church history here. So everybody ready? John, you there? All right, let's do this. Awesome. Well, we're going to have some baptisms this morning. And baptism is a, is a family activity because when people are baptized, they're baptized into a family, into Jesus' family that we're all a part of. So I just encourage you guys, as you're seeing people baptized, uh, the invitation is to participate and to agree, I'm going to walk with this person. I'm going to get to know this person. I'm going to be a part of encouraging this person in their walk with Jesus for as long as I know them. So if you're up for that, would you say, I'm in? I'm, I'm in. So let's celebrate some baptisms together. Uh, this is Sarah here. Um, and she told me that she was excited to be baptized. And I just want to ask, is there anything that you want to share, uh, Sarah? Yes. Um, I was an infant when I first got baptized. Yeah. And a few years ago, when I rededicated my life, I really wanted to get baptized. Fast forward, it's happening here in D.C. Praise God for that. And also, um, through the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, I am experiencing freedom. Come on. I feel so loved and seen, which is making me want to go deeper in Him. Beautiful. I've got a couple questions for you. Um, Sir, do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God? to give you a new life as a child of God. I do, yes. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until it ends? Yes, I will. Okay, come here. Hold, hold your nose. So based on your commitment to trust and follow Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
This precious girl is Bay. Bay, are you excited to be baptized? Bay, is there anything that you want to share? Can you can you share it with us? I love God and Jesus, and I believe in God and Jesus. Come on, yeah. come on. <laughs> let, me, let me let me ask you a few questions. Do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins? rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of God to give you a new life as a child of God. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until it ends? Okay. Come on, Bay. Plug your nose. So based on your commitment to follow Jesus your whole life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son. fun. This is Ophelia. Why don't you face here, Ophelia? Is there anything that, anything that you want to share with everyone? No. No? Okay. Let me ask you a couple questions. Ophelia, do you put your faith in Jesus? Oh. Oh. Oh, thank you for that suggestion. Ophelia, do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God? to give you a new life as a child of God? Definitely yes. Definitely yes. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until it ends? Yes. Uh, Awesome. Based on your commitment to follow Jesus and trust in Him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jack, uh, Jack, is there anything you want to share before we baptize you this morning? No. Awesome. Well, it's such an honor to be able to baptize you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just sense just your heart, your longing to walk with Jesus and to commit your life to him. So it's an honor Thank you. to be able to baptize you. Jack, do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God to give you a new life as a child of God? Yes. Thank you. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until it ends? Yes. Amen. Whatever the cost. Yes, brother. Yeah. Let's come over here and how to get on your knees, yeah? Okay. Um, so based on your commitment to follow Jesus, put your trust in Him. I'm honored to baptize you. Cover your nose, brother. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've got Samuel coming now, and he's been uh, in the process of being discipled by his good friend, Stan. And so Stan is going to baptize Samuel this morning. Uh, Samuel and I have had a a beautiful journey of uh, friendship and accountability. And I can just testify that Samuel is a man of courage a man of intentionality, and a man of humility. 
And uh, Samuel, would you like to say anything? Yeah, thanks. Um, so over the past couple of years, the Holy Spirit has been taking me on a journey, ultimately of surrender. And so I'm using this baptism today as a milestone to mark my life and will and to let my soul know what my head and heart already do, that my entire being is surrendered mm. to Jesus Christ. Yeah. 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 A couple questions. Samuel, do you put your faith in Jesus as Son of God who died and rose again? I do. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life? Yes. And based on your commitment to trust and follow Jesus, I baptize you. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Details. Uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, His Holy Spirit, and His Son, Jesus. Very good Christ to Next, we have Leah, who's going to be baptized by her father, We. It's so fun when we get to be biological and eternal spiritual family at the same time, right? So, uh, Leah, is there anything you'd like to share about why you're being baptized? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to share something about Leah. Um, so when Leah was born, my wife and I, for some reason, had the hardest time figuring out what to name her. And so we were in the hospital room, and the nurse kept coming in and asking us, you know, what will be her name? And we didn't know. And this fear started welling up in us, and we thought that we would, you know, take this baby away from the hospital unnamed. And so we were praying... But one thing that we knew for sure was we would know what her middle name would be. And we felt the Lord uh, ask us to call her Evangeline. So that's her middle name. And then there are some versions that say Evangelia. So from that, we named her Leah, Evangeline Lou. And uh, Evangeline, in Greek, I think it means the bearer of the good news. Someone who brings the good news. And that's been our prayer for her since she was born. And I've seen that played out in her life, you know, these past few years. You know, for me personally, and some of the adults can relate, you know, as you get older, you tend to become a little bit more pessimistic. And Leah, you know, in my pessimistic moods, she would say, Dad, remember God said this. But Dad, remember God said this he would do for us. And so she's just a constant reminder of God's good news for us. And, and I think, you know, in this world of pessimism, some people would label her as an optimist. But I think she's called to bring something greater, something better. She's called to bring the good news of the gospel. So that's our prayer for her. So, so Leah, we're proud of you. We love you. So, Leah, do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God to give you new life as a child of God? Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until it ends? So, Leah, based on your commitment to trust and follow Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Next we have Zach Lindsay, who's going to be baptized by his father, Steve. you'd like to say yeah so uh thanks to my parents and my sister and i have walked with jesus for most of our lives and i i can remember a lot of things like being under the pew uh looking up when i was a kid a lot of things i do remember but i don't remember being baptized and so a couple of years ago the lord started to work on my heart to call me to that act of obedience and then during that time my own daughters came to faith and so, uh, both to just straight up be obedient and also to set an example for our kids, I'm being baptized today by my father, and I'm going to baptize the girls. Zach, do you put your trust, put your faith, Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God to give you a new life? That's a child of God. I do. Will you follow Jesus with your whole life from now until the end? Yes. Based on your commitment to trust and follow Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. daughter Clara. Clara, is there anything you'd like to say? Okay. I'm being baptized today because I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Yes. Amen. Okay. Sister. <laughs> you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of God to give you new life as a child of God. And will you follow Jesus with your whole life, everything, all the way until the end? Yes. Amen. Yes. Okay. Yes. Based on your commitment to trust and follow Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. daughter Lydia, the quiet one. <laughs> and Lydia, is there anything you'd like to say? Yes. Why are you being baptized today? I am being baptized to show the world that I believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay. Alright, I have some questions for you, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> Lydia, do you put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, yes. who died and rose for your sins? Um, and sits at the right hand of God to give you eternal life. Yes. 
And will you commit to follow Jesus for your whole life, all the way until it ends? You ready? Based upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was a workout. My wife has moved so deeply with baptism. She just turned around and she said, I have such a headache. <laughs> Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for this demonstration of the life that you offer to us that takes us through death sin, Satan, and frees us to live a new creation life today and look forward to hope. Everything is going to be okay. In fact, more than okay. It's going to be better than we imagined because of Jesus' resurrection. May that be inside of us all day today and as we live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Drew Duffy, where are you at? Drew Duffy is a professional counselor right over here. If anybody, we want to take seriously, if anybody's feeling really not good today, come and talk to Drew. Please take your moment to do that. The rest of you guys have a wonderful day. We love you.